Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Listeners, welcome back for such a special episode of On the Side with Jackie London. I'm yours truly. Jackie London, and I am really thrilled to have two extremely special guests with me today. I personally have been just totally flabbergasted and feeling kind of pissed off about the lack of information, the lack of transparency around the baby formula shortage that we're currently experiencing. And I just feel like this is getting so politicized on both sides of the aisle, on every side of the aisle. And it's also like really triggering to to anyone who is currently pregnant, who is thinking about becoming pregnant, or even to people who just recently had their first child and are thinking about getting pregnant again, right? Like there's, there's just a whole wide variety of reasons why anyone and everyone might be concerned about this issue, especially because just just in the purest and simplest terms, I just feel like the fact that we're here in 2022 is just kind of dystopian. And also the fact that you can't really seem to readily get information and facts about what is happening, what we need to know about it, and how we can stop it from happening again in the future is not without bias, right? Like it seems to be that we can only find information about this from sources that are completely biased or are being touted as experts when when they most certainly are not. So I brought in some actual real experts who have some extremely useful, very tangible advice on the topic of baby formula and understanding the entire landscape of what the crisis is, how it happened, how we got there, what the Defense Protection Act is, and how we are going to essentially get ourselves through this and what we need to know in order to really make it happen. And in order to stop, and by make it happen, I'm sorry, let me go back. In order to really get ourselves to a place where something like this never happens again. So without further ado, let me introduce our two guests today. Mandy Peck is an advanced clinical nutrition coordinator at the Mount Sinai Kravis Children's Hospital of the Mount Sinai Health System. Mandy received her undergrad degree in psychology from Syracuse University and her master of science degree in clinical nutrition from New York University. She's an RD and a certified dietitian nutritionist, as well as a board certified specialist in pediatric nutrition. Morgan Howard is a certified clinically advanced nutrition coordinator at Mount Sinai Kravis Children's Hospital of the Mount Sinai Health System. She also received her Master of Science from NYU as well and received her bachelor's degree from Cornell University. Morgan is working in the neonatal ICU and Mandy is working in the pediatric ICU. So these two are the foremost experts on what it means to feed children at their earliest days, hours, weeks of life um, and to and to work with 
parents and families to, to better understand what this landscape looks like, what's happening, what we all need to know about it, and how we can use this information no matter where we are, whether we're supporting loved ones, family members, friends, or if we're going through it ourselves. This is everything that you need to know about the baby formula shortage. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think about this. I would love to hear from you on this topic, whether you think this is useful, helpful, what else would you like to know? I actually, and you'll hear this in the interview, I asked Mandy and Morgan something I usually ask my guests here, which is where can people find you? And it seems like people are finding them way too much. So if you have questions on this topic or if there's anything that we left unsaid or or that you need more personalized advice on, I am happy to be the conduit to help you get that information. You can always DM me on Instagram at Jacqueline London RD. And of course, please, please send me your nutrition questions, anything, any topic you would like to hear more about in food and nutrition. I just feel like it's so important to hear information from the science perspective and from the, the kind of clinical work perspective versus what's politicized, what's not, what you're being told from someone who perhaps wrote a children's book once. That's not expertise in early infant and childhood nutrition. So I I really think this is such a meaningful and important conversation. And I so appreciate the time that Mandy and Morgan spent chatting with me. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please leave us a review. Just a nice little five-star rating, just a happy review, a warm little hug in the form of words. Just tell me, what else do you want to hear more about? Again, DM me at Jacqueline London RD. Leave us a five star rating and a wonderful review <laughs> that shares your feedback and lets me know what else you want to hear more about. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let Mandy and Morgan do the talking here. They are incredible. They are both bastions of knowledge in human form. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Here we go. Morgan, Mandy, I'm so happy you're here. This is the best treat to have you both. Okay, first of all, we got to start out with something critical. Let's hear about your typical day as dietitians at Mount Sinai Kravis Children's Hospital. Let's hear about it. Where are you starting? What are you doing? Let's start with you, Morgan, and then we'll go to you, Mandy. Let's start with like day in the life of Morgan Howard. So I primarily cover our neonatal intensive care unit. So when I get in the morning, I write all of the babies on the unit's IV nutrition. And then I round with the medical teams for the next at least three to five hours where we go over all their nutrition plans, decide what formulas to give the baby. And then in the afternoons, we spend time doing education and some of like our charting things, but we educate residents, training dietitians, kind of anyone who needs education on the unit to learn more about neonatal nutrition as it is such a vital role to help in further growth and development and kind of catch up to where they need to be, especially in a NICU. 100%. Jeez. Can you think of more important work than that right there? I mean, really? <laughs> like when I hear that, I'm just like, yeah, okay. Just supporting the next generation just to, you know, have sustenance. Okay. All right. A really rewarding place to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man, what about you? So I used to do that. (laughs) And for 16 years, I also did that in pediatrics and not just in the NICU. And now I've moved to just management. So I manage the entire Mount Sinai RD staff of about 23 inpatient dietitians and scheduling and being a mama bear for them to come and talk to (laughs) and helping all the the clinical questions that the other dietitians have, mostly in pediatrics, but also all the time, all the time. So basically like team therapist, which means to me at least that nothing has changed. Okay. So that feels good. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) 
Okay, yes. So as my former home, like really, I mean, and Mandy being my preceptor in peds, which I feel like, and we we have a question in here about this because this is like the one thing that Mandy said that has stuck with me for life. By the way, many things you've said have stuck with me for life. I want to uh-huh. I want to interject and say that. Thank you. But, but one thing that was so that literally was just such a perspective like game changer for me was when you said you have to like sort of take your mind out of the idea that kids and adults are are the same are like that the children or babies anyone under the age essentially of 18 is the same as an adult because they're not it's like different sort of species right maybe we should start with that why don't you tell us a little bit more about what that means and and what you mean by that sure so kids are just not little adults they are completely different in the terms that especially from a nutrition perspective they still need to grow and that's a totally different perspective than we have when we teach adults how to eat and what we're doing for their health and well-being we need to make sure that through any medical condition, through any obstacle, these kids are still growing and developing as normally as we can help them develop. And it's a totally different set of rules for how we feed them, how much we feed them, what we feed them. It's just completely different. I love that. All right. So let's get, let's start with some baby formula stuff, because as you guys heard my rant, my little tirade before we started recording is that I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that I'm watching this coverage on every possible news outlet. (laughs) I'm listening to it on a variety of different podcasts. I'm looking for different kind of resources on the internet and they're from major news outlets, right? Like I, like the first things that popped up this morning, Washington Post, NBC News, Fox Business, like there's a variety of different people weighing in on this, but there's no clinical dietitians weighing in on this and this is driving me bonkers. So let's start with something that is gonna air on the side of, of Newsy, but I, I fully want your opinions on this as, as clinical dietitians. Morgan, we'll start with you, like what, what is the Defense Protection Act? What does it mean for families who are concerned about having access to formula in general terms? Like, do you think that that this is helpful for getting us what we need right now? Yeah, I think it will be helpful. I think it is going to take some time to all come into effect, but it should help increase the formula availability in the country, either from having helping companies have the resources to make more infant formula that then can be distributed all over and make sure that there's a supply everywhere for families, as well as the other things that the government is doing, like helping get formula in from overseas to make Mm -hmm. sure that we have options that's already made for patients all over the country as quickly as possible. Okay. So on this, why are we here? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and both of you, you know, like feel free to tag team this, but like, Really, why are we here? Besides the supply chain part of this, what happened at this? Which is a huge part, right? What happened at Abbott? Let's sort of like break it down, maybe. Let's start with what happened at at this Abbott, at this one Abbott plant. What does it mean to have a a foodborne illness outbreak? And what essentially went down that that landed us in this unique clusterfuck, which we can say on on this podcast, by the way. (laughs) There is an E next to it. Yeah, we can call this a a clusterfuck of a situation. (laughs) What went down that got us here? So we got an alert, like it must have been like 1030 at night that there were babies that were sick from formula, that they had gotten some kind of bacterial infection. And I think of the babies that got sick, two of them had passed away. And at the same time, they let us know in that bulletin that Abbott's facility in Michigan was closed. 
So we immediately texted each other and we were like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. We're going to need to check every single can and every single thing that we have for all the recalled products and make sure we're not giving any of them to any of our patients, which was a big undertaking. We have a lot of stock. I mean, you went through the whole closet. Yeah. So the next morning, like at least at Sinai, we were quickly at work getting rid of anything that was recalled, making sure all of our patients were staying safe as quickly as we possibly can. I think by like eight o'clock in the morning, we had gone through most of our supply to try and make sure that everything was safe for our patients here. We emailed all the nurse managers that were involved in pediatrics and in neonatal care. And we made sure that everyone was aware from like management all the way down so that we really were careful not to give anybody that could anything that could have been contaminated. Was it like when we get alerts still about, and this is happening all the time because of voluntary recalls, like of the, this is a terrible example of like peanut butter or like soy sauce or like whatever it is that that could potentially, or a skew, especially we see this like in spinach or romaine or whatever it is. Was this like a specific product skew, like a type of product or was yeah. it? Okay. So there was lot numbers on the bottom of all the products. So we knew to look directly for our standard Simlac products our Elementum and our Simlac PM6040 and our Elecare were some of the bigger ones that were affected. So we were going through can by can looking to see if it was safe. And a lot of them were not. We did pull a lot from our storage. Wow. Wow. Wait, so when was this? This was like months ago, right? Yeah. I don't know exactly. A long day. It was like forever, really. Right. <laughs> well, first uh, but we make sure that our patients did not get any. Yes, of, of course you did, because that's what you do. But also, what's making me even more insane, I thought I was going to feel better talking to you guys, which I am. <laughs> I am. I am already feeling better. But what's making me angry about it is that this was now at least two months ago. And also, like, I get that, like, two months for me still feels like, I don't know, was it yesterday? Is it tomorrow? Like, where are we? But I'm an adult <laughs> for a baby. Two months is a huge deal. One, I mean, two days is a huge deal, right? Like, so we're on formula for a year, so two months is a big portion of that. Right. Oh my God. And some of our medically fragile babies or children are on this for life. Like, there are some formulas that were recalled that don't just affect babies; that really affect all children that have medical issues. Yeah. And that was the biggest. That was the biggest fear for us. And it was just unfortunate with COVID and supply chain issues that they were, we were already behind and had lower stocks available right. in some of these specialty formulas, which is kind of how it's all spiraled into what it is now. Okay, wait, let's go back because I would love for people to hear more about what you just said about the fact that some of these formulas aren't just for babies. So let's explain why is that? What does that mean? In what context? Sure. So one of the formulas that we were most concerned about was our completely free amino acid formulas, which was Elecare that was recalled. And that just means that the formula is completely broken down into free proteins. There's no chains of anything. And they are for our children that have short gut syndrome or are have severe, severe allergies or some other medical condition where they cannot have any other type of formula that contains milk, that contains soy, that contains anything else in a protein chain. And a lot of these kids get them through the tube and they are tube fed for life. Some of them, some of them have tube feeds for years. And so it's not just in a baby. And there's a few other companies that make this type of formula, but but the Elecare was the biggest manufacturer of it. And so we knew as soon as that wasn't available, it was going to be a race to get them from all the other companies, but they just didn't have the same supply. They just never made as much as Elecare did. Wow. So in particular, these three you would say that there were like sort of the three types of formulas that you were using most frequently that were of the greatest concern. Okay. So you go through, you had to get rid of so many 
different cans of formula. And then what's next? Like what kind of directives were you given from, from let's say Abbott themselves or from anywhere about like, how are we going to handle this? Like what were sort of next steps for you guys? We were really just looking at our available options for similar products for like Elicare, for example, there's Neocate, there's Alphamino, there's Mm. Puramino. So we had a ton of other options available. So it was just making sure that as a hospital, we got enough to give all of our pediatric patients these formulas. Our bigger problem was probably the renal formula, Simlac PM6040, that was recalled because there is no suitable alternative for infant formulas. There's pediatric formulas, but they're just not as good to meet our children's needs that need these renal formulas. So that one, unfortunately, did cause a lot of problems for our patients. And we have a tremendous amount of the premature formulas as well. Well, There are other options, but they, again, were a large manufacturer of one of the premature Mm -hmm. formulas that we use that are really specially made for premature babies. Wow. So what do you do? Like, I mean, almost like, like, let's say you're, resources. Right? <laughs> you're like down to the last can. Like, like, I'm like imagining you guys stop no, by, like, no, you're sitting no, in the closet, that? you're counting, and you're like, okay, here we are, just yeah. two and a half left. You know what I mean? Like, no, <laughs> we're lucky that we're a big hospital system and a big right. children's hospital. So we've never been in a situation like that. We've always been able to have enough formula for our patients. It's never been like counting the last can. Are we going to be able to give these kids something? We've been okay. Thank God for that. Okay. That is a well, huge we, relief. We reached out to a lot of the other companies and asked them to also send us um, directly from the company. So like, we were getting them kind of from a bunch of different places to make sure that we had adequate supply. Okay. Okay. So at the hospital... At the hospital level, we're in great shape. I mean, I'm not going to say great shape because we don't want anyone to rest on their laurels here. <laughs> but yeah, I, we're but in like, for what you guys are doing, yes. Yeah, public, we're yes. in good shape and able to help the families making sure that they have formulas and stuff as needed too for all of our patients that are in hospital. Okay, huge relief, right? That does make me feel, <laughs> now I do feel better. Okay, just going to say, already feeling better. We're only a few minutes in. I'm already feeling better. Okay, here's my bigger question that's just kind of shifting this a little bit, which is, so COVID and supply chain feel like huge factors, right? But like, what else can help us not be here again? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like what what else would be helpful, and you both can speak to this from, from different perspectives and experiences, but like, like what else would people who care about the future of baby formula, like of, of actual, the future of humanity, let's say (laughs) having adequate nutrition in these first few days, weeks, months of life in particular, right? Like how, how do we not get here again, basically? I think making sure that there's enough factories around the country that produce formula versus it just being a couple of bigger companies that do most of it. The formula making does make us more susceptible to something like this happening. And I think having plans in place, like how now we're first getting, I think this weekend, our first planes coming in from overseas with formula options for patients, Mm. having resources available where things like that in a worst case scenario could happen again more quickly. Making sure they're taking all the cleaning practices and getting their labs checked very often. So like we don't have these massive issues. Right. I mean, I saw that statement from the former head of the FDA who was like, it's not a formula problem. It's a distribution problem. And you're like, well, actually it was a factory problem. (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah, no, I I can see how there might be distribution challenges, but like also. It was like the perfect storm. Right. Unfortunately. All right. So let's go to Europe. Let's just take a trip to Europe for just a a quick second. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I, I'm sure you guys see this probably regularly, either from parents of all types of kids or from adults or just simply on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, if you will, right? Like people who say this one thing that just kind of really, it just bugs me, this idea of X ingredient is banned in Europe. And yet we allow it here in the United States. Like, like something is like wrong with our food supply. Let's debunk that for a quick second. And then we can get into what are there differences in European formulas that are going to become available to us by nature of the Defense Protection Act. Like, so first let's tackle the, this kind of larger topic of things. Food is safer when it comes from Europe. And then we can go into but okay, but on that note, we're glad that it is safe and it's safe because of why. I mean, I think all the things that we have available in our country are safe. I think Europe infant formulas especially have different things in them. You'll find a lot that don't have corn syrup or other ingredients in mm. it. However, that doesn't mean that these things are bad for you. Thank corn you. syrup is a carbohydrate source that we do use in our infant formula here because infants need carbohydrates and it's a perfectly safe source to give your infants and it makes sure that our formulas are well-rounded and meet all the FDA requirements to make sure that formulas are helping these kids grow. And sometimes part of the reason that they were not in this country in general is because they have to go through FDA labeling in order to come here. And European labels are just different than ours. And so they're not accepted into our country the way they are from Europe. Thank you. I mean, thank you. I mean, look, between the two of you, like that's like literally the, the most beautiful answer <laughs> I've, ever I've ever heard. Okay. So I want to play this little game of sorts. It's not the, it's not the most fun game, but I think it'll be fun for us. I mean, this is, let's just nerd out on this game for a second, which is, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this statement of one of these also equally irksome statements that I feel like we've heard in the current conversation about baby formula. And you tell me what's wrong with it. <laughs> so you're going to be hard for me to say. This is going to be a fun game. <laughs> also, by the way, when we, okay, when we get to the end of this game, I'd also like to go back and add in some others that I didn't say that you've heard recently, because I feel like that's going to be even more useful. Okay. Let's start with my first one, which honestly, my, this was when I first was like, I got to get these guys on this <laughs> podcast is when I heard this one. Why can't we just make our own baby formula at home? Oh my gosh, this is a huge <laughs> one. It's just not safe. I mean, babies have very specific requirements for electrolytes, for nutrients, for things like iron. And it's, if you make your own formula, the ratios are off. You can end up with too much water and too little sodium. And the kids can end up in the hospital with either dehydration or electrolyte disturbances. And both of those things are not something that you want to do for your baby. Thank you. What else, Morgan? Anything else? Anything would you want to add to that? I think that Mandy basically said it all. It's just these vital nutrients and these pre-made formulas make sure that babies are getting everything that they need to thrive. If you're making right. it yourself at home as well intended as you may be to help your child, you're unfortunately only going to cause some harm to them. What? I mean, is there also a food safety concern at home? I mean, beyond the nutrient composition, I also am like, okay, so we're worried about like this all started with a factory issue, right? But like at the same time, our own human error, like if I were trying to do something like this, I'd be dressed up in a hazmat suit. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can only imagine. So is and there- And that's always that? a concern. People often do not right. do like microbiology well at home, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're always worried about foodborne illness and food safety just in general. 
Me too. And honestly, just to like, not to take us so far off topic here, but honestly, I have yet to come across a food thermometer that frankly works well enough for me. I, I just either it's it's this chicken breast, whatever, or, or it's the thermometer, or it's me. And it probably is me, but I don't know why the thermometers. I think more than half the population still defrost their chicken on the counter for the whole day. So like, I don't oh, know. My worst pet makes me That is, okay, can you just please, <laughs> we can't. I know, I know we're here to talk about the babies, but you gotta, can you guys just, can you guys just impart some knowledge on our listeners here about the defrosting on the counter? This makes me crazy too. But I also feel like I don't want to be that person that is like running around, wagging a finger, being like, stop. But then I also am like, okay, but I'm not going to eat that. Like, I mean, just so we all know, I'm I'm not eating that. Yes, I am that person. I do that to my family all the time. have imparted like strict food safety rules in my house. <laughs> Yes. The green cutting board is for vegetables. The red one is for meat. Do not Thank mix you. them up. Stop mixing them. Everyone stop mixing them. I know. I mean, there's also a lot of, and this one is arguably a lot. Well, you can play faster and looser on this. Not that I would ever advocate for that, but like there's a lot of expiration dating happening in cupboards, in pantries, <laughs> around around this city at the very least. I mean, I'm not going to speak to the country, but in this city there's, and a lot of those people are related to me. Or, or <laughs> I'm not going to say I haven't seen a, a Tabasco or like a ketchup from 2012 lurking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Especially that's just if you not buy right. the giant size of it. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, like I like, listen, a couple, couple days, couple weeks sometimes, but I mean, a couple of years feels like a, a presidential a administration much, yeah. is too much. That's, that's too much. listeners. <laughs> and links back to the baby formula issue is right. that. You want to make sure that when you're getting it on Amazon or any of the other places where you purchase baby formula, the mom's groups that are trading formulas, mm. that you look at the expiration date of that formula and make sure that it actually is still good. Okay. That is a huge point, And I do not want to gloss over it. I do not want to gloss over it. So let's make this our next little myth for a moment. Okay. So uh, as far as statements that people say, how about this one? <laughs> Just go ahead and buy it on Amazon or on CVS.com or Target.com. Besides expiration, let's let's start with the expiration dates being problematic. And, and also, why is that bad advice? I think it depends. I think right now online, most formulas are not available to buy online, which is part of the problem. But I do think that online websites are not all bad because right. you can see the in-store option. So if you're on the Target website or the Target app on your phone, for example you can see what's available in store. You can't necessarily buy it. But if you live in an area where there's three targets, you can see what's available and then know where to go if you're looking for a specific option for your child. That's huge. What about this other problem <laughs> that we're having that's sort of peripherally related? I mean, I feel like I cannot ima imagine a parent who wouldn't be like, listen, I'm going to sell a kidney to get my child fed, right? Like there's probably endless lengths that most same people are, are sort of willing to go to, to get formula. But I'm also wondering like, what has this done to the price? Like what are current formula prices looking like right now? That's a good question, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for, if you're going on like the Facebook selling groups, yeah. you're probably going to have like inflation of those prices. Right. I would exactly like is. to think that the major companies that sell it in the stores are not jacking up the price. Right. They are limiting the amount that you can buy though. But there are some safe ways to get them online as well. Like Sean Johnson, the gymnast. Yeah. Did you see that she created this new like exchange program so that 
people that have like some formula can donate it. And then others who need it can email and they all like, she helps them like exchange it. That's amazing. And also, Which is amazing. I would love to know how that works. I mean, just from a pure, like, <laughs> I think a lot of moms who are yeah almost done feeding their babies and right. we had stocked up, you know, when you have a baby at home, you always have extra. You always want to make sure you have enough to feed your baby. I'm sure COVID made people buy even more. And their baby turns a year old and they don't need it anymore. And but right. yet it's still good. And instead of tossing it, they're now donating yeah. it. It's that huge. or moms who've only found one specific formula, but they need a different one for their child. So they're buying one and trading with other moms to make sure that they have it, which is a really great option for parents. You do still want to be careful that you're not accidentally getting treated like a recalled formula, mm. something that's expired, making sure it's still closed. Right. But for the most part, these are awesome options. And the Sean Johnson program kind of makes it a national things. You can get formula from anywhere. There's also tons of local groups that are doing the same thing just in your community. Okay, Morgan, you just used a word that just triggered me right back to sitting in maybe the office that you're sitting in right now, but probably not. Maybe you guys are in a different building now. Okay, but you just used a word <laughs> that just brought me right back there. This is a Mandy Peck-ism, the like, it's gotta be closed. Got it's gotta be closed. What does that mean? Tell people who don't know what you mean by that. What does that mean? It's gotta be closed. Not, it can't be... Oh, it can't be like an open can of formula. So you want to make sure that like the ceiling isn't seal that ceiling thing. isn't open, that it's not <laughs> opened. You don't know what is in it right. then if it's opened. It's all sorts of issues. And you want to make sure that you're using the scooper that comes with that formula because they're not all the same. Oh, that's huge. And okay, say more about that. That's huge. So each formula comes with a different scoop, a scoop size and Different formulas right. from different countries are also mixed differently. So if you're buying a formula that's already been opened, you have no idea if that's the original scoop that came in there and if the directions on the can are actually still going to be appropriate for how to mix it. And I know Morgan can speak more to this, but for some of the people that have to switch their brands and, and switch to whatever they can get their hands on, I know that we give them a recipe prior to them going home, give them recipes to multiple different brands so that we know they're mixing them appropriately at home. Wow. So when you say recipe, you mean like formula? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In and case you have to do something different. And even some of the European formulas, especially mix completely different than a standard American formula. So even if you're using standard term formulas, making sure you're either reading the labels or if you have specialty instructions that don't follow the labels that you're following up with your medical team to make sure that you're mixing that correctly. <sighs> I'm so worried about people who aren't working with you guys. Okay, I, I'm just like, and I feel like we have to get into that more. So what, as far as like instruction that would be important to know about, are we talking about conversions? Like, are we talking about units of measure and those types of conversions when it comes to mixing and, and making these? Or are we talking about like any additives or any special specialized ingredients that would go in there? It's mostly ratios, I would say. Yeah. So how many scoops to how much water. Okay. So for a regular standard baby formula in America, it's like one scoop of formula to two ounces of water. In Europe, it's very often one scoop to one ounce. And so you want to make sure that you're reading your can and not doing it the wrong way, depending on which formula you're using. But in addition to that, we also, especially for like our youngest babies, we and the ones that are not growing as well as we want them to, we in the hospital or in their pediatrician's office will often increase the calories per ounce that they're getting of their standard formula using our own mixing instructions right. to make it different calories. So it's not right. the standard 20 anymore. Now it's 22, 24, 28 calories per ounce. And so we give them instructions on that too. And it has to be very specific. Right. Does that answer your question? I don't even yeah, know. no, that totally, <laughs> that totally does. That totally does. But like that answers that question, but more as a follow-up to that question is, 
So for you guys, like you're obviously both so hands-on and really working with families and really, you know, making sure that everyone feels as safe and comfortable and like ready to, ready to do this on their own as possible. I'm sure like leading up to discharge, let's say. But what are some of the questions that are coming up? What are some of the concerns about getting this right that you're hearing? Like, are there some specific examples? And obviously, I mean, we're all here for the HIPAA compliance. Like we're not here. (laughs) It's not like you don't have to share any names or anything. I just mean like, like general questions that you've been getting. Like, what do you think you've been hearing the most as people get ready to um, enter into the world when it comes to, to formula? I think it's mostly the parents are just concerned and they want to make sure that they're going to have formula when they get home, that they know what they could find, that they have a list of substitutions because they've maybe been in the hospital for the past days to weeks getting a specific type of formula. And they're like, what am I going to do when I get home? Or maybe we're sending them home with a couple of cans of something, also making sure that they already have their own supply at home and teaching them what is safe with the different brands and what you can substitute for that will still be perfectly safe for their child. And when it comes to the elemental formulas, like the ones that are the specialized formulas or like you mentioned, the Similac, the 6040, like, are you guys able to send people home with those or are you really looking more to like how they could sort of mix certain ingredients in order to, to get that ratio or how are you, how are you handling that one? So for Similac, PM6040 and some of the metabolic infant formulas, Similac actually came out with a great emergency product way to get these formulas. So basically with a doctor's prescription, you fax it directly to Similac and they overnight it either to the hospital or to the patient's house. It came out a couple of weeks ago. We use it for a bunch of our patients here and it's really been a great resource to make sure that these patients are getting formulas when there's literally no other options available to them. That's amazing. I'm smiling because I'm like, facts. (laughs) I'm sorry. Did that carrier pigeon get, they, they said this, like, what? It's, like, I don't even know why. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever used a fax machine in my life before for this. <laughs> well, it's like, like, I mean, I find that like when you're submitting something, do you ever find like, like, of course, all of the insurance companies have made this like so impossible. So like you are trying to get something reimbursed and you have to send one fax, then wait for a carrier pigeon to come back and tell you that it's okay to put something in the mail. Then you have to put it in the mail and you need to put it like a sealed envelope. You know what I mean? Like, it's like there's 85 hurdles, but I'm like, wow, a fax. They, they, they really didn't want to make this a little simpler, but okay. Okay. I'm going to give them a pass. I'm going to give them a pass on the fax machine because they're helping the babies and they're helping the parents. And I feel like that's what we're here for. Okay, fine. All right. Let's go to another myth. This one might be my favorite in terms of, um, just blind, unadulterated rage. I'm getting ready to be mad. Okay. <laughs> Why can't more women just breastfeed? Mm. This one really, really, really gets me. Because we all know that breast milk is best. And of course, if you can breastfeed, by all means, please do. However, we have had many moms who have had double mastectomies. We've had many moms who have tried and unfortunately are not able to produce milk. We have a lot of babies that need specialty formulas where they cannot drink breast milk. They cannot have the components of it. And so sure, breast milk is great, but it's not always available for every baby. And it's not, it's not something that they can always take safely. 100%. I mean, the other part of it that's huge is this whole idea of what we've been talking about so far, which is like the elemental, semi-elemental, like these hydrolyzed formulas that are specialty formulas. Can you give us 
you mentioned short gut syndrome. You mentioned some of the metabolic formulas, the renal formula. Like, what would you say at the sort of like more consumery level? Like, what's the kind of clinical picture as an as an overview? Like, who needs a specialty formula, and why does that mean that breast milk then is sort of like not an option, even if mom is producing breast milk? Sure. So, for some of our GI distress patients, babies that have severe GI diseases or short bowel syndrome, as Mandy mentioned before, maybe they had a surgery where they don't have enough of their intestines left in them to physically be able to digest breast milk. They need something that's broken down because they just don't have the room to digest and break down these formulas or breast milk to get what they need. They need a specialty formula. We have patients that have kidney disease that you can't have within breast milk. As amazing as breast milk is, if you have your kidneys don't work right, there's too much of certain nutrients in there that it's not safe for these babies. Oh, Such a good answer. Okay. My last little myth on this, and then we'll move on. We'll move on to more exciting things that piss us off. (laughs) (laughs) But what, what about when you hear, and I know we've answered this a little bit too, but just to sort of like drill this point home, what about when people say things like, can't you just get a different brand of formula? I mean, first of all, I will say that like, it's such a huge relief to me to hear that, which I, again, like, why is this not more a part of the consumer conversation? But like that Similac was like able to pivot so quickly and then make something that is available to that very specific patient population who needs it, right? Like, what would you say to somebody who's like, can't you just try a different brand? I really really got into character for that one. I don't know if you know. (laughs) Can't you just try a different Um, brand? (laughs) <laughs> some some formulas like the Similac PM6040 for the renal patients, like there is no alternative. Right. They are the only matching factors of that. Some of the metabolic formulas for kids that have very specific metabolic disorders where they can't digest certain types of protein, there is no other formula for them. Um, and so unfortunately... I don't even remember. So here, yeah, I mean, no, but that was it. That was totally, I mean, that's it. Thank you. I mean, you said it. <laughs> okay. So the thing that I'm stuck on right now that I can't seem to find an answer to in the news is like, when will we see the shelves start to fill again? (laughs) Like just at the pure basic level of like being a human being in the world, when do you think this will start to, we'll start to see some recovery? And obviously I would say, I would imagine most of us like want to know that this is available at medical centers, at hospitals, right? Like that that's obviously critical, but like as a general idea like how how long do these things take like what's yeah. the rollout yeah like? so it should be soon so with the defense production act and the formulas coming in from overseas yeah. within the next they're saying days to a couple of weeks things should really start to be more available once the abbott factory opens which should be very soon that will take another six to eight weeks to really get ourselves back to our standard supply where shelves were completely filled but in the next like couple of days to week it should not be as bad as it is now Okay. So back to the Abbott one, I'm really all over the place, but I just feel like these are the big questions, you guys, like these are, (laughs) these are the things that we just need more info on, right? Back to the Abbott thing. Like once it reopens, any words for anyone out there who would be concerned, like, oh, can we really trust this factory again? Like, I mean, have you, has that come up at all for either of you? Yeah. I think that parents are going to be scared to go back to some of these similar products that were recalled, but I think that the factory has been tested. They're making sure that they're following all sorts of safety standards. If anything, it may be safer than ever. I was just thinking the same thing. It's my favorite ever. (laughs) 
It's amazing. What's fascinating to me about this recall versus like other recalls that we see so often in the news, and I am thinking again about that Romaine recall that I just feel like Romaine is still recovering from that like hit to their brand. You know what I mean? Like that is just like I, I still hear people saying things like I don't I don't really eat Romaine. I'm I'm you know, like as if it's some sort of like virtue signal or like some kind of like, uh, I'm worried about the foodborne illness. Like, uh, whereas we know that now it probably is safer than ever. There's possibly the the greatest lettuce of all time, <laughs> the goat <laughs> of lettuces, right? Like after those recalls, but those recalls were voluntary. So let's just distinguish quickly between involuntary recall and voluntary recall. And I also feel like this one was involuntary, right? This was like the FDA got involved. I think there were some of the products were voluntarily recalled and some of the products were involuntarily. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. We got to get, we got to pivot here for a sec before I have to leave you guys. Cause we still have many more questions. We still have a couple things we got to get to here before I drive you both completely insane. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So in general, and this might be redundant, but I'd prefer for, for the sake of this episode in particular and the topics that, that we're talking about to be redundant rather than, you know, leave anything on the floor. But like, let's say if you are someone who is either pregnant or nursing right now, what would be your sort of general tips to help us all feel a little calmer? Let's just hear a little bit from both of you of like what you would say as far as like the advice that would help people to feel a little bit better and to feel a little calmer and a little bit more like I'm going to be able to feed my baby. Sure. So like, I think that we really understand that this is really concerning for parents and we are all here to support them. I think if you're still not having your baby for a month or so, by the time that you do have your baby formula will be much more available for you. So those moms should know that things will be better by then. If you're looking for formula now, just knowing that everyone's really trying to help. You can find things available, checking your local stores, talking to your community and your friends in your communities to try and find things available to you, using your online resources, and also calling your pediatricians or other healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. We do have information as to when certain things are getting in. We may have samples available to give you and that there really is a whole support system within the medical community able to help you through this time. That is calming. Calling the pediatrician and not your OB because they're the ones that are going to have the samples. Yes. Or know how to get them because they call us. (laughs) (laughs) That's huge and such a good point because I feel like so many women, that would be like your sort of first instinct is like, that's been like your person, right? For the last however many weeks, months, whatever, right? Like, so it's, it's an easy idea of being like, better get on the phone with this person. Oh no not the right person. And they'll probably just direct you to the pediatrician. Such a good point. Okay. Okay. Any other calming words on this? One of the other things too that's come up is like, if your baby's 11 months old, can you switch them over Mm. to home milk? And so one of the things that I think is important to mention, a couple of things actually that we have been talking about is 11 months old. Yes. You can switch over to whole cow's milk. You want to make sure that you're using whole fat milk and that you're not giving a baby any kind of low fat milk or skim milk or things like almond milk, which are very trendy, have no protein, have no fat, have nothing of nutritional value for a baby. So we don't want to do that instead. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Let's stay here for a sec. <laughs> Whole milk. So your baby's 11 months old. So, so you would normally say one year is when whole milk would normally be introduced. But like at 11 months, 
most babies you think could probably tolerate would you would now yeah. you wouldn't say that for like nine or ten months right so the american academy of pediatrics actually just said that six months and up for mm. as limited a time as possible if you have no other option wow that you can use whole milk but only 24 ounces a day for that younger population wow okay. and then still trying maybe to mix that in with your formula that you have available to make it last longer but if you are doing that, that's when you would want to make sure you're speaking to your doctors in case you need additional supplementation. You may need iron supplementation, a multivitamin, wow. unless you're also eating iron fortified cereals or other iron containing foods. Besides iron, what else would be of top concern that's not just normally found in traditionally fortified whole milk that would be concerning for babies that are six months to a year? I think the DHA and mm. ARA and some of the other yeah. things that are added to formula, like some yeah. of the micronutrients like are just not as designed to be in cow's milk because cow's milk is never designed right. to be a whole nutrition source. Right. Yes. Such a good point. It's so true. Like it's just such a basic fundamental, right? Like we don't consume whole milk as that. We consume it as a beverage, not as a, an, our entire source mm -hmm. of sustenance. Interesting. Okay. What about, let's go back to something that you said about almond milk, a huge Huge personal pet peeve, but I can only, I only work with adults. So again, <laughs> pet peeve for adults. Can only imagine how you guys feel about this topic. Tell us more. Just tell us a little bit more. Tell us about the almond and, and why it's a little bit different from the cow. Go <laughs> <laughs> um, <God>. It's <laughs> awful. When parents just think that it's a straight substitution, especially... I mean, now, especially when you're talking about using it for an infant, there just is no nutrition in that. There's no Zero. protein. There's no fat. Sure, maybe it's fortified in calcium, but it's not going to have anything that these kids need. When you're talking pre all of this for a one-year-old, when you're giving that instead of giving cow's milk a couple of times a day from a baby coming off formula who's maybe not eating enough, it's a wild substitution that parents think that it's safe. And right. we really try and talk to them as often as we can to make sure that they're not doing that. So let's say you are you are feeding a baby, like let's say a soy, is that, that's a thing, right? Like a soy protein-based formula is one of the other substitutions for anyone with like- It's a, a thing, kinda. but we it's never recommend you it. You don't, okay. No. Okay, no. but are there babies who aren't tolerate like if you're not tolerating a formula that's usually because of the protein not necessarily the yeah. lactose right right yeah so for those kids soy milk could be okay as long as it's a fortified soy milk that has calcium in it soy milk is higher protein if you're looking at something like mm. almond milk that has no protein soy milk has protein similar to cow's milk so it should help meet some of those needs okay Okay, help me on this one because I just feel like I want I want to be so clear about this for anyone who is listening, who is a parent, who, who are thinking about becoming a parent for any of this. Tell us more about why this is not the time to enforce, let's say, a certain eating style on a baby and what, what exactly you would recommend. Like, let's say someone is like, okay, but my whole family is vegan and I want to make sure that we have a vegan, have vegan options, right? Like this is a different, and, and I want to be clear that like, there's no, like, I'm not, I'm not making any judgment on that necessarily. It's just, there's a difference between making a choice based on values and beliefs versus making a choice based on perceived health benefit. So let's like distinguish what's happening that there's a very big difference between the the perception of something as healthy, quote unquote, so to speak, versus like what it actually means and what some of these options would be missing. I think it goes back to why kids are not the same as adults, right? They're, right. They are still growing and they are developing 
their bones and they're developing their brains and they need certain nutrients to be able to do that to their best ability. Mm. Uh, and so anytime that anything restricts a nutrient or it doesn't provide enough of it, it's not going to be appropriate for a baby. Right. It doesn't promote their best growth. Right. What about, are you seeing any oat milk, by the way? You got, you got me thinking about this track when you said almond and I'm like, God, but the oat, it's really having a moment. No, less so. Know <laughs> Parents are doing it more, I think, outpatient. There is oat yeah. milk. I think not in this under one age group, you should not be using that. Right. If you're over one and that's really your preferred milk choice, we still will always recommend hold that cow's milk. But if your kids are eating enough and getting all of their nutrition from foods, there is ways that you can make oat milk work. It's a way mm. better option than almond milk, Ooh, but that's it's nowhere near as good as cow's yeah. milk. But that's so interesting. That's so interesting and such a good point that there's even nuances within this particularly kind of crappy <laughs> alternative area is is also interesting is that you could potentially make it work if you needed to. Okay. Interesting. All right. So let's go back to the progression. I mean, we're not going back. We're going forward. This is the, the we're going into the progression of like feeding stages of what it means to like go from, let's say zero days of life to then six months to then six months to a year. What are some of the like initial kind of feeding milestones that come up within that first year of life? For healthy children, for the most part? Well, let's say, yeah, let's start with health. Let's start with healthy children, for sure. Sure. So for the first four to six months, they should be 100% exclusively breastfed or formula fed. And then you can start introducing some solids. All the rules about how to introduce solids have pretty much gone out yeah. the window. Yes. Um, it used to be that you had to do vegetables and then fruit, and then you couldn't do meat until nine months. And it's kind of not like that anymore. You can pretty much start with anything that you want to. Um, Love that. But we really recommend waiting until four to six months and where the baby can sit upright and kind of hold their head straight. And so you don't have to worry so much about like choking. You want them to be like appropriately developed before they start eating foods. Yeah. Anything early than that is not safe. When you start talking about like the rice cereal, because you think your babies are too hungry in their bottles in that younger age group, anything <sighs> like that is, that is not our favorite. Not our favorite. I am having a little, another little flashback to something, man, I feel like that we saw it together. No, I feel like this was like during my internship and, and quite literally it was like someone that, that was putting water. They were putting water in the bottle. I feel like you see that one a lot, right? Like where people are putting, they were just like, I thought they were dehydrated. And you're like, what are you doing? Why are you filling that thing with water? Why? Oh, there'll be sugar water. I've seen right? a lot of oh, sugar, the sugar water. water. The sugar water. That's what it was. It was sugar water. Yeah. Okay. And they put the cereal in the bottle to help them sleep longer, which is just a mess. It just doesn't work. <sighs> So what are some of the like milestones that you would want parents to know about? And again, for healthy children, like what are some of the like key phases of this? Well, I think the newer school of thought is to expose to peanuts, mm. um, not actual peanuts. You do not want to give a child under three an actual peanut, but you can give bomba or peanut butter or something that actually introduces the allergen unless your family is a high risk for allergy. Mm. The new research coming out is showing early exposure may help prevent some of the allergies that totally. come around. That's one myth that we see a lot of people waiting yeah. on that. You know what? Okay, this was an actual question from a from a family member. <laughs> from a family member who was like, Okay, I'm worried because like I'm worried that my husband is feeding our baby who is <laughs> who is he under a year. Yeah. Still under a year. Um, meatloaf. Thoughts. Meatloaf? Baby led uh, weaning. Aggressive. Yeah. Aggressive? Baby led weaning yeah. is very trendy. <laughs> yeah can 
be done. I yeah, you just have to do it safely. I think like I'm not as anti baby love meaning as Mandy is. I not think <laughs> as a parent, you just need to be trained that you right. know what you're doing, you know what to look out for, and you're watching your child. Versus all of us are so good like multitasking, being on your phones, watching TV while you're giving your kid dinner. You cannot do that with baby love meaning. Right. You need to like be fully paying attention to your child and watching for any signs that there could be choking or anything unsafe in that situation. And I think it's different to give your kid a piece of avocado that if they break off a chunk, it can likely be mushed in their mouth than to give them a piece of steak that cannot. Right, right, right. (laughs) Right. Mm. Can you do me a solid here? See what I did there? A A A little baby nutrition fun. Do me a solid here. And tell us, what is baby lead weaning? I I really, like, people are tossing this term around left and right, and I'm like, okay, I thought I knew, but now I don't. Like, what What is it? Sure. It's basically, like, instead of the traditional starting with pureed foods and slowly working your way up, Mm. you're giving your child something similar to what you'd be eating on the table, cut into big chunks where it's not small enough, where it would be a full choking hazard, and you're letting them use their own hands, take whatever they want into their mouths to kind of lead their own way for eating. They do tend to have things like gagging while they're eating and they're really learning how to tolerate these solid foods. But it is a great way to give a child exposure to a lot of different things and really let them try a ton of foods similar to what your family may be eating right Mm. next to them. And it can be a great option as long as it's done safely. Safety is my biggest issue. I think as long as you're watching your kid like, and you're handling it carefully, then it's fine but you really have to really watch your kid. Right, 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 right. What about, this is one of my favorites. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to add this to our list of myths, (laughs) our little list of myths here. My kid doesn't like vegetables. And by kid, I mean, my baby doesn't like vegetables. Let's say. I don't know, Jackie, my kid doesn't like vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of research shows just keeping it, making it available for that. It's not, in some ways, you can like hide it in things like tomato sauces, so you're sneaking it in, but also just having it on your child's plate. Sometimes it could take a dozen times this thing being on a kid's plate before they're ready to try it. Kids like their specific foods that they eat, and if you keep making it available to them, chances are at some point they'll try it and hopefully like it. The hope is before college, there will be vegetables happening. (laughs) Listen, listen. last night, I made my husband zucchini noodles for like the 80th time, and I'm like, one day, this is going to (laughs) take. I don't know like maybe like maybe there maybe one day but I like them so like I'm gonna make I'm gonna continue to keep the exposure going and I get it you know there might be some sort of like barriers around this but I I'm wondering perhaps there is no date at which you officially give this up maybe you just try forever (laughs) yeah until until still vegetables and I'm learning to like right same (laughs) I know. I know, right? Roasted, shredded, I don't know, zoodled. Who who cares? Just whatever, whatever you like, have it however you like. Okay. So because it, it's our time, because it's our time, it's time for our swan song. I gotta ask the number one question that is how we end all podcast episodes, which is basically this concept I used to say last meal, but I, I honestly find it a bit grim. So I've started saying, um, what if like tomorrow Elon Elon calls? And he's like, Mandy Morgan, I have a new baby. <laughs> right? Doesn't he have a new, what's the name of this baby? I forgot. I'm going to Google that later. Oh, Not some relevant. letters and numbers. Exactly. And it's, like, it's like an algorithm. The baby's yeah. name is like an actual algorithm. Okay. Elon calls him. He's like, I'm taking us to space tomorrow. And I don't know when we're getting back. So you guys pack up your bags, bring your families. But like, we're going. What's going to be your last meal 
on a typical, let's just call it an average Friday, you're having a meal. What would it be? Where are we going? What are we having? What are the beverages? Morgan, let's start with you. And then we'll go to you, Mant. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> breakfast definitely would be a really good bagel with all the good toppings. Mm. Cream cheese, tomatoes, sturgeon, all that kind of stuff. And a delicious oh, ice coffee. sturgeon in there. Oh, yes. Sturgeon. I was wondering if it's all the sturgeon. My favorite breakfast. <laughs> oh, no. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm here for the sturgeon, but yes, I think this is a first. Stur- this is our first sturgeon on this podcast, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of that, Morgan. Oh my god! Okay, Keep yeah, going. and an iced coffee. Specifically, my favorite place is Cheese Store in Long Island for iced coffee. Wait, what? Say that again. The Cheese Store. Oh. It has dozens of flavors of iced coffee. I literally could live on it. Wait, that just made me really thirsty. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Go to lunch. <laughs> Lunch, also a place Long Island, as you could tell where I grew up, would be Chateau. It's a diner that makes the best chopped salad I've literally ever had. Wait, where in Long Island is that? Because I feel like I might have been to this place and we're I don't... Here. It's yes, like a I little diner. They're, the Mishes, they're called. The Mishes? The... Yeah, the Mishes, the salad. Oh, I love that it has that name. That makes <laughs> me want to go there immediately. Okay, the Chateau. Okay, what about... What else? Dinner. Let's go there. Dinner would probably be my mom's chicken cutlets with a really good pasta and tomato sauce and probably some roasted broccoli or a good veggie on the side. It's heartwarming. (laughs) That's heartwarming. That is really heartwarming. My mom does a chicken cutlet. She definitely defrosted that fucker on the counter. I know it. (laughs) Mom, if you're listening, please stop doing that. (laughs) No, I'm worried. I mean, it was just pure luck. Exactly. I know. Now I'm fucked, but that's okay. Okay. Anyway, I love that. Okay. Any other bet? Any bevs? A cocktail, maybe? A dessert? Anything? Dessert? It's Probably a beautifully Magnolia cupcakes. A hundred percent. Always my favorite. Man. So let's go. Start <sighs> start from the beginning. Breakfast. What's any happening? good diner, like oh. omelet with cheese and a toasted bagel. I love a good diner. I love a good diner. I love a good (laughs) diner to the point where we've, we've started a new strange habit of ordering from a diner, which I, I have to say is not as bad as you might think. Like there's, Oh, I do it often. Right? (laughs) EJ's? Oh, I love EJ's. EJ's is good. Okay. Where else? Tell us where else would we order from though? Let's say we're ordering Uh, it. (laughs) I order from Silver Moon. Ooh. Okay. Sometimes they're good. Yeah. That's pretty much. Okay, what about lunch? Okay, we got lunch, we got dinner. Lunch is my hardest one. I don't know know where I want to eat lunch, but I can tell you where I want to eat dinner. I mean, we can have dinner five days a week, and it's fine for that, but on the weekends, I do not come to the hospital to eat lunch. True, understandable, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little restaurant that I love that's on 61st and Lex called Lizette Mediterranean. It is so good. I get, like, basically all the apps, and by the time my dinner comes, I don't even want to answer both. (laughs) <laughs> and bread. extra, extra bread because you have to dip everything in bread. Yes. Bread dips in everything. Wait, Lizette on 61st and Madison. Lex. 61st and Lex. I can't. Between Lex and Park. I can't even really picture that, but I can kind of. Okay. And it's amazing. It's that's the hat store. <laughs> oh, that's where it is. Yeah. <laughs> Next to the hat store. I love it. Yeah. Okay. What about a dessert? Any other desserts we can think of? I feel like that's brownie a popular. Brownie bottom pie. Like brownie ice cream sundae on top kind of thing would be my favorite dessert. I don't even know from oh. where. Maybe Hillstone has a good one. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm having a whole renaissance with Hillstone, which is a whole other podcast topic, yeah. honestly, because... <laughs> I miss Hillstone. I've been there a long time. Okay. <laughs> to be continued, 
on our next <laughs> podcast episode, which is entirely, we're going to dedicate it entirely to Hillstone. Many <laughs> questions there. Okay. Guys. I seriously have loved this conversation so much. I feel like this is so informative. This is the conversation that no one is having, unfortunately. And I just don't understand why, although I have a few theories and thoughts and all of them make me angry. So in the spirit of going into the weekend on a more positive note, thank you so much for doing this and for being here and for being so informative and helpful. If people have follow-up questions for you, is there anywhere that you would direct them to any place that you would direct people to reach you on social media or anywhere? What would be the best way? And you can say nothing if you want. If you're like, please leave me alone. That's totally yeah, okay. <laughs> reach me. You know what? Reach me. Instead, I'll reach them. How about that? Perfect. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Jackie. So much. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.